0: But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus also said to his disciples: There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Speak to thee, o Christ. This is a parable that is often quite confusing, because we hear that the rich man, the master, commended his servant for his shrewdness when what he had done was to cheat his master. He abused the authority that he had been given by his master and he took advantage of his master's liberality and the rich man commends him. How can that be? Is Jesus saying that we should be dishonest like this shrewd manager? That's not it at all. It's actually quite contrary to that kind of an interpretation. What God is pointing out, what Jesus is pointing out is that If the wicked, if the unrighteous, are so shrewd, so interested, so devoted in pursuing what they want, what they believe to be good, how much more should you, Christians, pursue with all your devotion, with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, that which you know to be good, the righteousness that comes from God? Jesus really chastises his people. He says... The sons of this world, that is, unrighteous people who pursue their own flesh, the desires of their flesh, they are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the sons of light. They know what they want, and it is trivial, yet they pursue it with all their hearts. We know not only what we want, but what is good and holy, and yet we struggle against our flesh to pursue it with all our might. And so, Jesus says... Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's the part of this parable that I'd like to really focus on. What a strange thing that is. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. The starting place is this, that money really is a neutral thing. It is neither good nor bad. If you love money, if you make it your God, then you are evil. And you have taken something good that God has given to us and turned it into evil use. Money is neutral. God loves riches. He himself is rich with all the kingdoms of the world. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine, he says. And his patriarchs were rich. Abraham was a wealthy man. So was Job. Job, a wealthy man who was willing to part with all of his riches because he knew something far greater, the love of God. Riches, money, is neutral. What matters is whether or not you love it, whether or not you serve it, because as Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. If you serve money, if you love money, then it is your God. It is your God, and you become like this unrighteous steward who pursues something with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, but it is something that will fail. But you know something better. You know the gospel. You know the good news of what God has done with his riches, taking all of the treasures of heaven, his only son, Jesus Christ, and pouring out all of the blessings that he could possibly imagine for you through the blood of Jesus That's what God does with his riches. You know something better than cash in your pocket or money in your bank account or interest rates and stocks that rise. You know something far better, something permanent. And so Jesus does not say, get rid of your money. He does not say, throw it away, it's terrible. He says, put it to good use. A use that accords with what you know is truly good. Listen to what he says. Make friends for yourselves with unrighteous wealth, that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That is, use your money and, frankly, all that you have in this life to secure for yourself brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christians, who in the resurrection will rise with you and give glory to God as he glorifies them. How does that happen? How can you use money or material things, or the things of this life, to secure eternal fellowship, friends for eternity. It's actually very simple. God has made it wondrously simple. It starts with your family. When you use your money and the gifts that God has given you and the material blessings that he has poured out on you, when you use them to create a home for your spouse and your children, for your parents or for your grandchildren, the people in your home, when you make that a home that is peaceful, a home that is filled with God's word, a home that supports life, then you have used unrighteous wealth to secure for yourself friends for eternity. Think about what a gift it is that God gives to children, parents who love his word, who will spend their money on feeding them giving them clothing, a roof over their heads, so that they can grow up in a Christian home. So that they can comfortably hear God's word and learn it. So that they can grow in faith and in the admonition of the Lord. What a precious, precious thing it is that just as God says to all of us, we need not worry about what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear. Even the sparrows of the field are clothed and fed by God The lilies in all their splendor, neither sow nor reap, and yet are more glorious than Solomon. God has promised that, and how does he fulfill that promise? By means of other Christians. By means of parents who feed their children. By means of family and friends who take care of one another. By means of a church that supports its members in their need. That's how God keeps his promises. That's how God uses your unrighteous wealth for life and for holiness. That is the goal, to build homes that are secure on God's word. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, and that's worth taking stock of. It's possible to take unrighteous wealth and build a beautiful home, comfortable and at ease, where no one is in want, and yet to have God's word completely absent, in which case that house is built in vain. But notice what he says, if the Lord builds that house, that is, if the Lord is the foundation, if his word is the foundation, if devotion to him is the reason why you do the things you do in your home, then it is not in vain, then that house will not be shaken, then though the floods rise and the wind and the rain beat against that house, it will not fall because the Lord has built it. That is how you make friends for yourself with unrighteous wealth. Build your homes so that they can be founded on God's Word. You also do it by supporting the church. I've talked about this before. It's an amazing thing. A privilege beyond measure that when you put your offerings into the offering plate, while it does things like keeps the lights on and pays my salary, more importantly, what it does is it allows for the preaching of God's Word. You're making friends for yourself with unrighteous wealth. God takes this thing this neutral thing, which could be used for great evil, which you could use selfishly, and he turns it into this abundant fruit, the sowing of his seed, the sending out of his word, which does not return void. What a marvelous thing that in this place, young and old, wealthy and poor, high and low, hear God's word without discrimination, without variance, without change, according to his will because he loves all of you. When you make friends for yourself with unrighteous wealth by supporting the church, God glorifies that money. He raises it from something that is base and lowly and turns it into something that is sanctified. What a gift it is that we get to participate in God's work in this way. He also does the very same thing when you use your money to care for those in need. And I'll talk a little bit in a moment about why God puts the needy into your life. But when you use your gifts, the gifts that God has given you, your money and your material possessions, to support those who are in need, think about what you are doing. You are living as a reflection of God's great mercy and compassion to the world. You're shining his light on your neighbors. Because they will ask, why are you caring for me? Why do you love me? Why are you sacrificing for me? Why do you give to meet my needs? And your answer, your answer is the gospel because that is exactly what God has done for you. And so you make friends for yourself with unrighteous wealth so that when money is gone, when all of those dollars are burned up and the economy is no more, they will receive you into eternal dwellings because you have made Christians by means of unrighteous wealth. Make friends for eternity. It's marvelous. Unbelievable, really, that God sanctifies such a common thing as money for this purpose. But there's another purpose for your money that has much more to do with you. And I want you to think this through with me. In the, uh, the epistle lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul warns that we should not desire evil as the people of Israel did. And he tells a bunch of stories about times when they grumbled, when they lusted after the things of the flesh, when they were discontent, when they worshiped false gods like money, And God punished them. He punished them severely. Paul tells us that those stories are to serve as a warning. So that we might not desire evil as they did. They did not believe. They did not trust in God. And so, because they did not trust in God, they did not discipline their flesh. They thought that their flesh could rule their lives and all would be well. And so, they fell into sin and wound up under God's wrath. Take the warning, Paul says. See what happened to them. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and your flesh. And so, serve God. Do not desire evil. But with every temptation, Paul says, God provides the way of escape. And here's the way of escape He gives you money so that when you give it away, when you sacrifice it, you discipline your flesh. He puts into your lives those who are needy, those who need your things. Whether it's your own family, or your friends, or neighbors, or strangers, he puts them into your life so that you have to help them, so that you cannot help yourself, so that your flesh is crucified. It is the way of escape. See how marvelously God has ordered things, how he has given us these means to save us from sin and death. So if you are not already giving an offering to church, if you are not already looking around at your neighbors and seeing who needs your help begin to do that now. It is a wonderful gift that God gives us, giving the first fruits, the tithe that He has given us, to offer back to Him so that our flesh will be disciplined, so that our flesh would not receive what it wants, but rather would cling in grace to God's gifts. When you give first to others, when you think first, not of yourself, but what others need, you learn what you can live without. You learn to trust in God. You learn what he can do, miraculously even, to take care of you. Listen to what God says to the people of Israel in Malachi chapter 3. He says, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What a promise that is. When you give away the things that your flesh wants to cling to in order to discipline your flesh and to help your neighbor who is in need, God promises you blessings beyond measure to meet your every need. It's a promise. And he has never once broken his promises. So give generously. Sacrifice. Let go of your things. Help those who are in need. Build homes that are founded on God's word. And your flesh will be disciplined. And you will cling all the more fully to God and his promises. That's why he has put your neighbors into your life, your neighbors who need things. So that when you see someone else's need, you know that you have to sacrifice. And that you have to be humbled. You put into practice the love that you have received. And you do not let your flesh or the devil or the world, which says you must hold on to every last bit, you do not let any of them have their way with you. With every temptation, he provides the way of escape. The only question is whether we avail ourselves of that way of escape. And here it is. It is not money that is evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So, combat that love. Give generously. Why would you love money anyways? It doesn't love you. It's never given anything to you that you have not received from God. God is the one who loves you. He's the one who provides for you. He's the one who has given you every good thing that you have, who spent all of his riches on you, his most treasured possession he gave to you. Love him. Serve him. Put your trust in him. Rejoice in him, in all that he does in you and through you. Thank God that he enables you, gives you the privilege of serving your neighbors, with unrighteous mammon, and that one day you will rejoice as they receive you into eternal dwellings. To God alone be all glory now and forever.